Welcome to the HR Empowerment Podcast, where we will uncover strategies and new insights from HR professionals who discuss up-to-date regulations, best practices, and the most pressing topics like diversity and equity, leadership, dealing with difficult situations, and much more that affect your bottom line and business. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Wendy Sellers, the HR lady. I am here with my guest, our guest today, the amazing payroll advisor, Vicki M. Lambert. Uh, thanks. It's great to be here. Hey, Vicki, we were chatting a minute between our breaks here. And, you know, I was kind of mentioning that hey, most of our listeners are HR people. And many times HR people are forced to do payroll, even though we probably don't have any business doing payroll, at least I don't, because I want to be dealing with people operations, not payroll. What are your thoughts on that? And, you know, should HR be handling payroll moving forward in the future, even though many people are stuck with it now? (laughs) No, I think what happened is back in the late 70s, early 80s, um, payroll kind of stayed stuck where HR kind of took off. So payroll is still looked at as a side thing, okay? And so a lot of HR people who've never done payroll get stuck with it and say, okay, I'm going to do, I have to do the payroll as well. And the problem is, is that the rules do not apply both HR and payroll. There can be different rules, all right, that you may not be aware of. And also there may be different rules in different states. So I, like I said, I've gone to HR, uh, conferences where I've actually argued with HR professionals. And the one that was the funniest was a woman told me that it's mandatory to have a lunch in the United States. And I said, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't believe me. Yeah. You know, and I had to, I had to show her that no, in California, yes, where you're standing. Yes. In the United States. No. Yeah. yeah. I get California. that a lot too. California. That's only after the fifth hour of work though, I believe. Right. Right. Right, so four hours, 59 minutes, you're off the clock. You're done. Your shift's over. <laughs> yeah, and you better be careful how you count that. <laughs> right, right, right. Hey, I've I got- have to tell you, Go wait, ahead, real Wendy. quick, I just have to tell you a, a funny thing about California. Long, long time ago when I was uh, you know, much younger in my HR career and I was in corporate, um, my company that I worked with merged with a, a couple other companies and uh, California came along with it. There was one small office in California before that, and I remember the, the woman that I worked with, um, who we acquired was like, ah, I guess you're going to take everything over. I'm like, ah, I'm dividing the country down, down the Mississippi. You take that side. I take this side. I'm like, you're already in California. And I literally had signed up for the, the HR certification for California. And I shipped it to her because I was like, I don't want it. I don't even want to do it. <laughs> I know enough to be dangerous, but I also know enough to go, um, help, please. All right. Back to you, JC. <laughs> Absolutely. In the world of payroll, there's one thing that we're going to start to dig into today. Vicky will definitely school us much more on this, but some statistics and info for you. In regards to wage garnishments, ADP uh, examined 2013 data. Uh, from 13 million active employees, ages 16 and up. And uh, that, that survey it went on for quite some time. It, uh, it appeared to be an unprecedented examination of wage garnishment trends in the United States. And the findings revealed some very shocking statistics. According to the study, 7.2% of the country's employees had their wages garnished. And over 40% of those garnishments were for child support with tax debts accounting for nearly 20%. 
And wage garnishment was found to be the highest among employees aged 35 to 44, which are considered the peak years for childbearing, divorce, and debt load. Garnishment rates were highest at 10% among people earning between 25000 and just under $40,000 a year. With the exception of child support, garnishment rates for men and women were actually comparable. Back to you. Tell us, uh, tell us your experience with with uh, maybe the pros and the cons of these garnishments, Vicky, and um, maybe even some common mistakes that people make in doing uh, child support garnishments? Well, the background to this, I think, is fascinating, okay, because I do, I've dug into it because one person one time asked me, I'm in payroll, what the heck does that have to do with child support? Why am I taking child support out? I can understand taxes, but what does that have to do? Well, it stems back from the early 1900s when, you know, we had kids running around that had no parents and we just ignored them. That was the way (laughs) everything went. And then we decided to help them and we got these safety nets, except these safety nets cost so much money that by the 70s, the states were going, we can't pay for all these kids anymore. You know what? We think that the non-custodial parents should pay for it. So it started where they were trying to figure out in the 80s how to do this. And someone locked on that said, you know, every time somebody is 12 weeks late with a child support, we send it to payroll and it gets collected like 90% of the time. Maybe we should do that more often. And they started directing. And because we are an innocent third party and also we could give a ding dong about it, you know, we simply process it. So we're also a disinterested third party. In other words, we Uh don't care that she was a witch with a bee and we don't care that his parents (laughs) were never married. Okay. We only care piece of paper, process piece of paper, you know, finish it up, go to lunch. So what happened was, is the whole country just started going to let's have payroll do child support. And then they said, well, wait a minute. If you're doing child support, you could do creditor garnishments. And then if you could do creditor garnishments, ooh, tax levies, those are pretty good. So we ended up getting every type of garnishment through payroll. We collect over 75% of the child support in the country now. Wow. And the only reason we don't do 100% is the fact that some people like Steven Spielberg don't obviously do it through their payroll or people are out sick or they don't have a job. But yeah, we collect almost all of the of the creditor garnishments and 75% of the child supports in the wow. country. Wow. Wow. Like $32 billion. Wow. You're like a walking fax machine, a fact machine. I was actually <laughs> looking at your LinkedIn profile and I wanted to tell our listeners that, you know, you were, you're an educator as well. Tell us a little bit about your education. You're educating us right now. Well, what I, my education personally or, uh, what I teach. What you teach. Oh, well, what I teach is I, I found that uh, every time I'd ask somebody a question, they wouldn't know the answer. And I thought, you've got to research this. So I started doing it. Mm. And then I got more and more knowledge. And then I was asked to teach by the American Payroll Association nice. to do a couple of se- of what we called back then seminars. And I did that and I got hooked on it. And so now I do almost 40 topics, okay, including child support and tax levy and creditor garnishments, each for an hour and a half. And uh, so that's how I got into that because there was nobody really doing a lot of teaching. Everybody just had to learn this. 
as they went along and some people didn't. So I said, well, I'm going to teach it. And I really enjoy it. It's, it's a lot of fun. But the thing about garnishments with payroll is the fact that we basically, you know, brought it on ourselves, if you want to look at it that way, because we did such a good job. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's a it's a catch twenty two, right? When when you're taking uh, things that you know should be government, and then they get forced onto private private or public business, and and then we're kind of like, wait, what? We got to learn this like overnight, and and the answer is, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> well, believe it or not, such a good job that according to the website lawinfo.com, they officially report to the public that there are several ways to stop a wage garnishment. And number one on that list is you can very simply resign from your job. So you've done a great job at, at doing your job, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that was part of the problem is that when child support, when people got the garnishment, they simply quit. And because of the way that we were locating them, we used to put them on our, our state unemployment insurance forms. And we would say, okay, here's 500 people that work for me and what they made this quarter. So by the time they processed that, the guy would be gone. I say guy because all mine were guys. So the guy would be gone. That's when they put in new hire reporting. So now you've only got 20 days for that child support agency to find you. Wow. And the thing about it is, is the government is going, you know what? We could do better than that. And the office of what I used to call child support enforcement. Okay. They've, they've changed their name a little bit. Um, they basically have a portal that you can do everything to report the states. So the federal government is actually helping the states and the employers to process even more garnishments on child support. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Hey, Vicki, thank you so much for this content. We are going to wrap up episode two here and move on to episode three shortly, where we're going to talk about some other garnishments, including student loans. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining the HR Empowerment Podcast, brought to you by Aurora Training Advantage. We hope you've gained new insight and strategies to navigate the HR profession. We look forward to you joining us again on the HR Empowerment Podcast.